4: and Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community.
0: Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Evelyn M. Simeon is professor of political science at the University of Connecticut, And she wrote a riveting article entitled COVID-19 and the Strong Black Woman in the gender report dated June 9, 2020.
4: In this article, she points out that the early data has shown that COVID-19 is adversely impacting areas marked by the high density living spaces where residents cannot buy healthy food and sheltering in place is not an option.
0: Poor Black women are among the hardest hit and the least able to rebound from the impacts of this pandemic. And at the same time, Black women figure prominently in accounts of ongoing health disparities that dubbed them agents of contagion, a demographic group with particularly high infection rates of the coronavirus.
4: The Bring It On staff wanted to kick off National Women's History Month with a frank discussion on impact of the COVID-19 and vaccine treatments that are having on men and women within the black community. Tonight, we start part of this discussion on the virus's impact on black women. Joining us are three African-American women who are highly trained medical health practitioners.
0: With us tonight, we have Dr. Summer Appling, who will probably be joining us just a little bit later. She was called away on an emergency. She specializes in obstetrics and gynecology. She is located at 2920 McIntyre Drive here in Bloomington, but she also sees patients in Martinsville and Bedford. Also joining us is Dr. Tashira Perry, also an OBGYN with IU Health and an adjunct clinical assistant professor for the IU School of Medicine. She was honored as a 2020 Bloomington Woman of the Year.
4: We are also thrilled to have Dr. Karen Reed Brenner, who is highly trained family medicine specialist and president of Southern Indiana Family Practice Center and the medical director of the newly established MetaSpa Rejuve Anesthetics, located here in Bloomington. Doctors, welcome to Bring It On, good to have you. Thank you, good to to be here.
0: Awesome. Thank Liz, why don't you me. go ahead and uh, jump and in start and start
4: off? OK, yeah. there are a lot of concerns uh, with African-Americans about getting this vaccine, in particularly uh, older black women, such as my mom, who's 88, who says at this point she has no intentions of getting that vaccine. She's covered with the blood of Jesus. And that and I told her, you know, that's fine but cover yourself with the vaccine, get the vaccine. And at this point, uh, I had a discussion with her yesterday and I'm sure there are a lot of younger Black people that are having the same discussion with with older people in their family. And one of the discussions was talking about the Tuskegee study. And people believe the myth that these Black men were injected with syphilis. And they weren't, they were just not treated for syphilis. That was it, the experiment was to watch them go through the process of dealing with and what syphilis did to the body. That's one thing. Uh, Older Black people know the story of slave women who were uh, experimented on, and that today's gynecology came from those experiments on Black slave women. Uh, and also recently in the last few years, we've heard about Henrietta Lacks and her the, the uh, cancer cells that she developed. And here in Indiana, most people don't know there was a, a experiment on 10 black children uh, done with the radio, uh, radioactive machine. So with these things in place and what America and federal, state and local backing these experiments, we are reluctant as a people to trust the government with this vaccine. I also heard my mother's friend who was 89 saying, but they got that chip in there. They're putting chips in. <laughs> so please help dispel those myths and rumors. Dr. Brenner, would you like to start off with that? <laughs> what do you have to say?
5: Yeah, I, yeah, that's the chip situation. Um, I had a lady from, an older lady from Jamaica send me um, a video about the whole chip thing. And, you know, all you have to do is just get online and fact check it. There is a, a website that is devoted to fact checking all these myths. First of all, I don't know like what size this chip is, but it would be really hard for that chip to get through the needle. Um, for you know the Corona vaccine, um, the, I, from what I know, the needle that that they use is probably like a a, a twenty three gauge, which is a small needle. You can't get a whole lot of stuff through there. So there are no chips. There are no chips, not even potato chips, in the Corona virus. <laughs> there are no fetal parts in the coronavirus vaccine. Okay. Um, I think what has happened before, they had done some experiments in growing the vaccine, and they did use some fetal parts, but they actually, it was a long time ago, there's a whole bunch of cells that they have named. And um, that basically, if they're going to use anything, any other cells to grow the vaccine, because you know, basically with bacteria or viruses, you have to have a medium to grow them on. It's not in the virus. Uh, they wouldn't put those in the virus because people would be reacting to those cells in the virus. Um, so that those are not in the virus vaccine. Um, if, you, if there is any chip to be had, it's in our cell phone because we have our cell phone with us. We go to the bathroom with our cell phone. We sleep with our cell phone. So if they want to track you, they don't need a virus um, vaccine to track you with. They just track you with your cell phone because many of us, can't do without her cell phone. And it doesn't have the mark of the beast. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to go to hell. They're not going to, you're not going to be, your soul is not going to be committed to the devil. If you take the vaccine, you're not not going to become a zombie. I've had some patients who were very convinced that they were going to become a zombie, didn't wear a mask, got the coronavirus, and they were the first online to get their Vaccine, and um, so far they have not turned into zombies.
2: Okay, Doctor Perry. Thankfully, none of them have turned into zombies. No, I, <laughs> I, th- I think that it's mm-hmm. it's worth noting that the um, the physician, or excuse me, a researcher who's actually responsible for. Um, developing the COVID-19 vaccine, as we know now, is herself a Black female woman. Dr. Corbett has actually been working on this for over six years as a lead scientist at the National Institutes of Health Mm -hmm. and has been doing this in waiting for this moment. This is something that she has been primed for this moment, working on the prototypes so that when this particular viral strain came to be they were able to work through which sequences would be the best ones for this virus and that is what we're testing and that's why it happened so quickly. I know there's been a lot of concern that it can't possibly be a safe vaccine if it was developed so quickly and I think it's worth noting it's really been a work in progress over the last six years and this has been her her major accomplishments that she's been able to when we needed it Plug and play, and her own words, be able to get the sequence and give us these uh, vaccines. There are currently three vaccines that are available to patients. Um, The Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines Mm -hmm. are the ones that we've been hearing about in the media for the last few um, Mm -hmm. uh, few weeks. They are the best way to think of these vaccines is as a set of instructions. Mm -hmm. They teach the cells how to make the antibody that fights COVID-19. Absolutely. The other vaccine that was just approved this past Friday, and so we'll be hearing a little bit more about that, is the single dose Johnson & Johnson. The, Mm -hmm. The Pfizer and Moderna are both two doses. The Johnson & Johnson is a single dose, but it's important to note that it does take about a month to reach its full efficacy. But this is going to be much more similar to the flu vaccine that many patients are already accustomed to receiving. It's a similar style of giving a small inactivated portion of virus so that the body Mm -hmm. can then make antibodies that way.
0: Um,
4: Okay, go ahead, William.
0: Okay, you know, I have to say this is the first that I've heard about the chip. But this really sounds like some QAnon stuff.
4: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> um, Dr. Perry, okay. help me to understand something, please. You said Dr. Corbett started working on this six years ago.
5: Yeah.
0: Now, COVID just reared its ugly head last year. So what exactly no. was she working on?
2: No, fair enough. Course. She has actually been working on coronaviruses as a family. If you remember about 10 years ago, there was the original SARS Mm -hmm. Uh A couple of years ago, there were MERS. These are other Uh coronavirus Uh respiratory viruses.
1: Okay, okay.
2: Absolutely. And what she has been working on, recognizing that this was something that she knew the public was going to be facing because we faced it before. We didn't, maybe not to this level, but we have seen these kinds of respiratory viruses take hold in the past. Her work has been studying the actual biology of the virus. What does it look like? How does it get into our cells? how do antibodies work against them in a lab and working on the prototypes with the idea that one day, another viral strain would show up just like it did last November. And she would be able to take that sequence of that viral strain, put it into the box, if you will, and that box would be the vaccine. So that's okay. what I mean by she has been working on this for six years. Okay.
5: Okay. And also there there are different types, as she stated, there are different types of coronaviruses that are not just in humans, but in other animals. For example, there is a camel. Camel has coronaviruses. Cats have coronaviruses, um, and um, bats. And this particular strain was purportedly um, brought into the human population through what they say uh, the civet cat, which looks like a cross between a raccoon and a raccoon and a, not a, raccoon and a, and a cat. Um, and the civic cat uh, came to fame was because they used that for exotic coffee, and that came from the bats. So uh-huh. these viruses, as she stated, has been around for a long time and has been studied. That's why we know so much about it in such a short period of time.
0: Let me make one more comment, and then okay. Liz, I'll go right back to you. But yeah, interestingly enough, okay. go ahead. Um, just got a note from our producer, Clarence. He says he recalls seeing that uh, something on a can of Lysol prior to 2020 that says it destroys coronavirus. Right.
2: Yes, coronavirus is the uh, family of viruses. So there are many okay. coronaviruses. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, they don't all cause the coronavirus disease that we call COVID. Okay. Uh-huh. they you can think of coronavirus as a family of viruses that have a very similar um, scientific structure. And that is what Dr. Corbett has been able to, was working on. And that's exactly why you would see that Lysol would take care of general coronaviruses. Absolutely.
0: Without injecting it into the body, of course. Yeah.
2: I have a, a question
4: just just from listening to what you said, Dr. Perry, and mm-hmm. Dr. Greene about the animals that carry uh, the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So, since uh, the earth is changing and we're destroying a lot of habitat for animals and these animals that we normally in past years have not lived closer to, uh, we're exposed to this. Is that one of the problems now with, uh, these different, vi- that we're getting these viruses from the animals. That's Carrie, do you want to start?
2: I was just gonna say, I don't, I, I am reluctant to speculate. That is my my short answer. Yeah. I, I know I, I know what to do with maybe not what to do, but what to recommend to my patients to prevent themselves from getting sick from this coronavirus, yes. but I I'm I don't think I can speak to exactly how we're doing it.
5: Okay. Yeah. I, I think in my yeah. research and my research um what I what I I read was that um the these viruses were were inclusive to those particular species, but what was different about corona was that it was able to jump from a species from the, the bat to humans, uh, and which is not likely, because I, mean, I, have, I have a cat who had feline coronavirus, and that did not transmit to humans. Now, when you go to the vet, when you go to the vet, you, the, the, the vet, you you have to wear your mask, and they carry all the same procedures as going to the doctor's office because I think there is a possibility that the dogs could be a carrier and transmit to humans. I don't know for sure, but that's what I was told. Um, But as Dr. Perry has stated, um, we can't really hundred percent speculate. It's not common for this to happen. Otherwise we would have been wiped out a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm. Welcome Dr. Summer Appling. Thank you. Good to see you. I'm Elizabeth Mitchell. Hello. Good to see you too. Uh, I have a question just for you, since you're just joining us. There are uh, three vaccines out there, correct? Yes. For people, uh, one is the Pfizer. Then you have Moderna. It, Moderna is ninety five percent effective. hmm. And the mm-hmm. Pfizer is how effective?
6: I think they're saying like ninety six percent. I know they're oh. very similar.
4: Okay. Now, I saw this morning, and I don't know if it's correct or not, that Johnson & Johnson is coming out. It's 70%? I heard 75 yesterday when I was watching the news. Okay. So if I had the choice, why would I want Johnson & Johnson? I would want one of the other two because... <laughs> yeah, technically.
6: I mean, the Johnson Johnson dosing is just a one-time vaccine. So for some people, if they feel that there's going to be difficulty... You know, with Pfizer or Moderna, because Pfizer you have to get the second dose three weeks later. Moderna, you get the second dose four weeks later. If you find that there's going to be an issue with your compliance with that vaccine regimen, I would say then maybe the Johnson Johnson is the one for you. Um, I know, although they're although they're saying it's only you know 75% effective, they do feel that it's 100% effective at least preventing any you know serious coronavirus if you were to contract it, and they are suspecting that you also should not be hospitalized if you get coronavirus.
4: Okay. At this point, how many variants are there? Because I, I know about three, the UK, the South African, and the Brazil. Are there more variants than those three? Um, I would say I do not know the answer to that. Okay. Does anyone know the answer to that or heard anything about that?
2: My understanding is that there are are at least two additional variants that they're exploring coming out of New York and someplace on the West Coast. You might um, Mm -hmm. need to double check that location. But in all of the cases that they've studied, none of the variants have been significantly different from the initial, meaning that these vaccines are still expected to work effectively and as effectively against these new um, variants.
4: Okay, can either one of you um, explain to our listening audience When you get that first vaccine, what side effects should they expect, if any?
6: I mean, I would say kind of the most common ones are, you know, muscle pain, chills, um, headache, fatigue. Some people will get febrile. um, And that's just all due to basically your body being effective at responding to the vaccine and making those antibodies. So, you do get kind of similar side effects that you would get with the actual illness, but you do not have the illness.
4: And for the second vaccine, what are those side effects?
6: Similar side effects, um, I would say they usually, if someone is going to get them, it tends to be more prevalent with the second dose. Um, so a lot of times people may not feel any side effects with the first dose, but when they get that second, they do feel feel some of those side effects. Others have, don't feel any side effects with either dose. And there have been some individuals who feel them kind of equally with both the first and second. But generally what they're counseling people is that if you're going to get side effects, it's probably going to be after that second dose.
4: Okay. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, Dr. Renner, can you uh, tell our listening audience, what is the problem with getting the vaccine to these areas of of uh, uh, minorities, Black, Brown, and Latinos? What is going on? Is it the fault of uh, the federal government?
5: Well, I I don't have an answer to that question per se. I think um, from what I've seen, there's been a pretty significant effort to try to get the vaccine to areas like on the Indian reservations, especially that have been Mm -hmm. significantly impacted and even in the black communities and even in Canada, um, there was a story of of, uh, this very wealthy couple that flew their airplane to one of the Indian reservations to get the vaccine to jump the line. Um, of course they were fined, but um, you know, I think there has been a, a much more sig- much more um, robust effort to get the vaccine to the inner cities. I mean, I, there was a, a New York Times article where people were waiting online for long hours in Harlem to get their vaccine. So I think the major barrier is the, the, the fear of the black community based on a a, a quote-unquote historical, um, you know, concern about being experimented on. And I think, as you had touched on earlier, I think it more the older population are more likely to have those emotions than the younger population. Um, So I I think one of the, the biggest barrier is to try to educate the minority community, the black community, the Hispanic community, the the Native American community that are more significantly affected by the COVID um, virus infection to um, be more comfortable, that this is a way of saving our lives. And it's not a way of population control. They're not gonna try to kill us with this because if they're going to, they would have to figure a way to select it out. You know, you just have to debunk it and think it through that, the way it's packaged in a nice video on social media, you have to take some time thinking through that that does not make sense because they would be killing the white people, too. OK, and that nobody, that's not going to happen.
0: I'm you know, okay. Liz, I'm, um, just,
5: I'm just saying it like it is. You know, yeah, you know, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know?
0: Dr. Reed Renner, that's why we invited you on, because you say it like it is. You, you always keep it real. But. <laughs> Liz, I I wanted to uh, add on to uh, your question. From everything that I've been seeing and hearing, the delay in getting the vaccine to minority communities has a lot to do with so many other things that affect minority communities, and that's discriminatory policies that just go way back. And it seems like COVID has highlighted the effect of those policies uh, into what we're seeing today, you know, the higher death toll uh, being the, the main thing. But I also have a question for all three doctors. And Liz, I think you touched on this a little earlier. Um, I went to the VA hospital in Indianapolis, got my shot last week. So I have to wait another four weeks. Now, if I have the opportunity, I think I got the Moderna shot. So go back four weeks and one more shot. If I have the opportunity to get the single dose, let's say a few days from now, should I cancel that second visit, or is is there any harm in in getting that a different vaccine at a, a sooner date, an earlier date? Does that make sense?
5: Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. I yeah. think what they're gonna they're gonna counsel you is to continue with the sequence of vaccine that you're you're taking. Um, because really there's not a lot of evidence that to see if there's like cross cross reaction oh, yeah. or mm-hmm. cross dosing um so I'm not sure that would be wise to do that
0: so I don't there's no way for me to know if I'm putting myself at risk
5: I don't think you'll be putting yourself at risk but I'm not sure how more effective it's going to be for you um i I don't really have an answer to that maybe Dr Perry might
0: Oh, the road, effectiveness is not a concern. It's just a matter of how, how fast I can get it. Mm-hmm.
5: But you've already gone through one dose. Mm-hmm. You've already gone through one dose. So, yeah. waste. So, number one, it would be a waste. It would be a waste of a vaccine that somebody else would need.
0: Well, I, I don't have yeah. that option anyway. I just wanted to throw it out there.
7: <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> hey,
4: somebody's asking. Well, Dr. Perry, earlier I had mentioned uh, why... Blacks did not want to get the vaccine. And I talked about my 88 year old mother who uh, said, well, they will inject, uh, uh, she was thinking about the Tuskegee experiment, thinking that they injected syphilis in men. And I had explained to her that was not true, that these men had it and they were watching. Uh, She also knows about uh, gynecology today is from what they did to slave women without anesthesia. And uh, can you talk a little bit about that and why that shouldn't bother? Uh, those things in the past should not bother us now and that they shouldn't be. I, I said, mom, don't be left sitting on the curb. Go ahead and get that vaccine. So if, pretend like you're talking to my mom and explain to her why she should get the vaccine. Dr. Perry.
2: Absolutely. I. I strongly believe that anyone who has an opportunity to get the vaccine should should do so. I, I definitely recognize that there is a lot of fear and anxiety about the way black and brown persons have been treated throughout history. But looking right now, the biggest threat is not our past. The biggest threat is this. The biggest threat yes. is that our people don't do well when they are exposed to coronavirus. Our, our people do not recover from this as well. There's so they're, We could have an entire discussion on the reasons why black and brown persons have higher um, morbidity and mortality are spending more time in the hospital are more likely to get sick. We have the one thing that can actually help us with that. And I wouldn't want anyone to give up that opportunity.
4: Uh, one thing you mentioned, uh, Dr. Renner, is to go on the internet and do your research and stuff. Um, I'm just, this year I got the internet, I'm I'm on it. But for people like my mom and her friends, they don't get on the internet. She doesn't have a computer. Doesn't, she doesn't even know how to work her cell phone that I just got for her. So uh, the main thing for these women would be their churches. So I wanted yeah. to ask you, have any of you three doctors been invited to the local churches, Second Baptist, Lighthouse, To speak to the because the older generation is sitting in those churches or either on Zoom if they figured out how to do it. Have you gone here locally to try to talk the elder people to getting the vaccine?
5: No, we've not been invited, and we've actually I've not been invited and I've not volunteered. And that's actually a very good point um, that you're making. So we we, this might be an opportunity for us to have some sort of a health day to discuss these issues in the, in the, in our local black community. I think, what is it? The black population in Bloomington, is thats is that 7%? Or I forgot what the number is. It's
4: about like that. Yes. Okay. Am I right, William? And it about 7%? Um, I'm
0: Um, not a hundred percent sure. We had a okay. uh, penny Cardell on from the health department a couple of weeks ago, but, and she talked about that, but I can't remember exactly what she said. Okay. All right. Yeah. But with IU
2: Health, of, our sorry, go ahead. oh, excuse me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, with IU Health, um, they have been uh, working to get the the word out to our minority communities. Um, Sean Gerber is one of our uh, chaplains who has been going to uh, several of the churches in the area and talking to the congregations. And I think our you know, IU Health has definitely shown a, a commitment to continuing this type of outreach through radio going going where you need us. So absolutely we would be happy to continue disseminating this information in the best way that you think will will get to our our uh, our population.
5: Well, it, I, it's I, actually it's actually quite refreshing to actually see two black women in the OBGYN department at IU. Absolutely. I Remember when I was there as a family doctor doing OB, I was like dying to have another black sister to talk to sometimes. You know, so it's really refreshing to see that. That's awesome.
4: Yeah, yeah. Dr. Ampling, uh, what would you say to, if you were speaking to my mother, what would you tell her? And, you know, I mentioned earlier, her friend thought uh, that there was a chip in it and didn't want the government to put a chip in her. So (laughs) I would like your response to that if you were talking to someone uh, 88 in the 80s and even
2: 90s. Yeah, I
6: mean, I would, I mean, I, I definitely would already reiterate everything Dr. Perry already said. Um, you know, I would reassure her that there is no microchip that they're putting into it. I mean, I feel like if the government truly wanted to track us, we already have so many other means for them to do that. We have our cell phones, we have social yeah. media. So, I mean, I don't think the government would really need to go into actually getting something that implants into our bodies to track us. So, um, there's no tracker in it. There's no microchip that they're going to be following you you buy. Um, I know they they mentioned some sort of way to maybe, I think when they had talked about putting that sort of chip in it, it had been to maybe track like vaccination status and kind of look at patterns um, and see how, you know, who all had been vaccinated in certain areas, but um, that was kind of an optional and more of a theoretical um, thing that had been mentioned than actual kind of fact. So there's not a microchip in it. Um, And yeah, just to reiterate, you know, I know again, like Dr. Perry said, minorities are very skeptical. I think of, you know, medical treatments that have come out because of the past history. But I think with this, it's also not, you know, they're not solely trying to vaccinate minorities. Um, There are plenty other, you know, ethnicities getting the vaccine. Granted, we are trying to get it into areas that are more kind of more readily available to minorities, but the minorities are not the only ones getting vaccinated. So I think if people realize that, you know, people of all ethnicities are getting vaccinated, it's not that they're doing anything, you know, sneaky or trying to do any secret testing on minorities. They're vaccinating everybody. Um, And this is just a means for them to kind of make it more readily available to us, since sometimes access um, is a very, very hard thing.
0: Does anyone have any information on Black versus white mortality rates across the country?
6: So
5: I'm looking at, um, I think, what is it? About 15 states. Um, in Alabama, Blacks were make up 28% of the population. There were 40, 44% of the deaths um, from coronavirus. In Georgia, 34% of the, the the population, there were almost 50% of the deaths. In Los Angeles, 34% of the population and over 55% of the deaths. So, I mean, even in um in Indiana, I think we're like about 10% of the population in Indianapolis at least, and we are the the amount of deaths was pretty significant as well. So. It's, it's impacted us in, a, in a, a pretty astronomical rate that we have to consider as an urgency to really educate the population um, to get out there and get vaccinated. I think one of the other things that they had looked at was the, the reason why, we, apart from the socioeconomic um, factors, um, one of the reasons that they were looking at um, was the, our level of vitamin D. Um, in the Black population, part of that is that the darker complexion you are, you don't absorb as much vitamin D. And vitamin D is really important in terms Mm of strengthening your immune system. Mm -hmm. It strengthens the killer T cells so that you could fight off infection better. And I think whether you look at data in in Great Britain or data in uh, the United States is still about the same in in terms of the number of uh, minorities of Black people of color uh, who have been affected. And even though you say black and brown, the the Indian population, that's black and brown, mm-hmm. their, their rate of death and the Chinese population, their rate of death was not as high as the blacks, the Hispanics and the Native Americans.
0: That's interesting. Um, yeah. We also have Robin Lasik on the call from the IU Health South Central Region uh, Public Relations Office. Robin, would you mind unmuting uh, yourself and talking to us a little bit about the outreach that you've done in the community here?
1: Absolutely, sure. In our effort, we have worked. Uh, we have a task force at the at IU Health that works on nothing but vaccinations and and sharing the word out and about wherever we can. So we uh, stay in touch regularly on Fridays, there's a press conference. So we speak at press conferences. Actually, our president, Brian Shockney, speaks at the press conferences with the mayor and and other great county folks and and talk about uh, the vaccine and the availability. And um, we also share it as widely as we can in social media. We just had our Bloomington 30,000th vaccine this morning so we're celebrating that and we're pushing really hard to put to to get those percentages up so those are the types of things we're doing social media newspaper blogging um out in the in the community as much as possible so that's kind of how we're supporting it okay thanks for that uh liz sure.
4: um i was going to say now- uh, my personal experience, and I'm probably not the only one, I had decided early on just to wait and see. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll get get the vaccine later on in the year, just to see what what's happening with everybody. And then I heard uh, about uh, Dr. Corbett, I think they call her Kizzy, Dr. Kizzy Corbett, a Black woman who was instrumental in getting the vaccine out there that she'd been working on it for six years. And I go, oh, a system? I'm going to go ahead and get it. So that's what I did. <laughs> uh, what I did. I said, I'm not waiting for it. And so I'm, I'm sure that there were other people like me who were going to wait to see. I wanted to see if if uh, William was going to get a third eye or something. I don't know. (laughs) So for those people that were thinking about waiting, what what do you say to them? Dr. Appling?
0: Dr. Appling, you're muted.
4: Oh, you're muted. Yeah.
6: I would say go ahead and get it. I think a lot of people were nervous because they feel like the vaccine was put together very quickly. But it's not that it was necessarily a new technology, as you said, but Dr. Corbett is something she'd been working on for years and years. So even though it isn't anything we had necessarily heard about, it's not that just in the past year, they just decided to kind of throw all of this together into a vaccine. Um, So, I mean, I would say it's safe. I mean, a lot of healthcare workers are are getting it. I feel like, you know, anything, sometimes we're people who would be more skeptical of the safety of something since we're in the healthcare field. So I feel like with so many uh, healthcare workers getting it, I feel like that should also reassure people that you know, if we trust the science behind it, um, that we feel that it's safe for other people to get.
4: Yes. Okay. Thank you. William, you have any other questions?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, Dr. Appling, you uh, corrected one uh, misunderstanding that I had about the speed of the development of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. However, it was fast-tracked. Through the approval process. Yes. So when this is all over with, um, do you foresee the FDA going back to the normal approval process, which, in, uh, I understand, to be years at a time? Or, or does since they since they were able to to do this fast track, do you mm-hmm. think that they might do that uh, a little more with right. other vaccines?
6: I think it's possible they may fast track things in the future. I mean, hopefully there's nothing ever that, you know, hopefully there's never another pandemic or an epidemic, but I feel like if there is something that happens with in that sort of way that, you know, maybe they could fast track things, but otherwise I feel like kind of the more longer term process that we do is probably, you know, better um, to kind of have more data and have more time to kind of watch how people react to things. But um, if we're kind of in that urgent situation where, um, you know, we're worried about mortality and the amount of people getting sick from an illness, I think it they probably will fast track things in the future.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that that makes sense because in a sense, we're all guinea pigs since we mm-hmm. don't know what the long term effects mm-hmm. are. Very and by, and by the way, Liz, that would have been a fourth. Hour. I already have three. So
4: okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. all
5: right. So well, so just to, to make a point on the fast track because. In this situation, if they didn't fast track it, it would be problematic because this is a this is a pandemic. Yeah. This is a worldwide um, pandemic. So, from a public health perspective, it, it 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 dictated that something had to be done in a fast way to save lives. I mean, think about it. There are over half a million people who have died from this virus um, just in America.
4: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And if you think about this vaccine, where people would say, "I don't know what's in it," well, do you know what's in your other medicines that you take without right, questioning yeah.
5: that? Right, right. And and the technology is not different from what they've used before. The reason why they were able to start with the um, the mRNA vaccine is because. That technology was already tried and proven. It just was not as widely used. And every one of the different vaccines that they're te- the types of vaccines that they're they're purporting for the coronavirus uh, has been used before. I mean, whether it's live attenuated, where they where the vaccine is a bit made made weakened and injected into the body through the the through the through the, the shot um, to boost your immune system, or if they're using um, the technology with the messenger RNA, which is basically giving your body the code to make the um, the spike protein that allows the coronavirus to attach to your cells and then enter your cells and then use your body's machinery to to reproduce itself, I mean, whichever technique they use, it's, it's been used before in other vac- vaccines that we've been using for m- years now, for decades now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Does that make
4: sense? Yeah, it does to me, yeah, yeah. Um, Someone uh, spoke earlier about uh, data sharing. Are all of the countries uh, willing to share their data? Like has China been forthcoming in sharing their data uh, with us? Are we still waiting or have to push for that? Do you know? I I don't have don't have answer
6: to that.
5: I don't have an answer to that, but on the internet, there is a lot of information um, in the the various journals on whatever research has been, has been done. So from that perspective, there is some data sharing, but I don't know that in terms of details, I don't know what's being done. Mm-hmm. We're not privy to that.
6: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm not aware of some large database where everyone kind of compiles their data. that would be helpful, but.
4: Okay. No okay.
0: What about um, pregnant women? How, how do they figure into this whole thing? Are, is it safe for them to take the vaccine now, or should they wait, or what?
6: Um, I mean, we've been recommending to pregnant women both—you um, know—the American College of OBGYNs and the CDC have recommended that you know we do feel that it's safe to give them. But um, if they feel more comfortable waiting till they deliver, you know, it's their prerogative. Um, we also feel that it's safe in women who are breastfeeding. But again, if they prefer to wait till afterwards, you know, until they're they've weaned, that's also their prerogative. Again, you know, we don't have any, you know, long-term side effect profiles. So it's kind of a risk-benefit ratio. You do see that kind of like other immunocompromised individuals, pregnant women um, do not seem to do as well as others. Um, you know, when they get sick, just like, you know, when usually children or elderly get sick, they don't do as well. Pregnant women are kind of the same because pregnancy is sort of an immunocompromised state. So Mm -hmm. it is kind of weighing the risk and benefits. Um, Would you rather get, you know, coronavirus or would you rather, you know, be vaccinated and hope that, you know, down the road it doesn't cause an issue. But so far what we've seen, again, as Dr. Reventer stated, you know, we've had this technology kind of in other vaccines and pregnant women are able to get those vaccines that have been either um, the mRNA, or the one with the spike protein. So we assume that, I mean, this should be just as safe since it's kind of that same technology and they haven't had issues with other vaccines of this type.
4: Alrighty, uh, I wanted to ask Clarence if he had uh, a question.
0: Uh, yes, I'll jump in. I was actually typing a question for William to ask, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and pose it. And uh, Dr. Uh, Apple, thank you for that That last um concerning yeah. pregnant women. I, I want to take it a step further. Say so a woman uh, is pregnant, it's COVID-19.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Over COVID-19, are the antibodies built up not only in her body, but also in her unborn fetus?
6: Hmm, good question. Yeah, and I don't think we have a good answer for that yet. Um, I mean, with other vaccines that we give pregnant women, for example, we give pregnant women a vaccine for, um, it's called Tdap, we give it for pertussis. Um, That is a vaccination that babies do usually, I think they start the vaccination series at somewhere between two to four months. Um, But we generally do recommend pregnant women getting it because those antibodies will pass to the placenta and baby will kind of be born with some coverage until the vaccination series starts a few months after birth. So There's some thought that there may be some sort of, you know, immunity related to the baby, but I don't think we're going to know that until we're able to kind of do some testing on, you know, infants who were born to mothers who were vaccinated during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a great, we don't really have a clear answer to that right now since everything's so new. And I think we're still kind of 50-50, at least in our practice, on women who are willing to get it pregnant versus those who want to wait till they deliver.
0: Well, I see the time is, is quickly getting away from us. And again, this is part one of a two-part conversation. And I'd like to, uh, for Wayman and uh, Liz, to afford some time for your closing statements, Dr. Perry and Dr. Renner, as we sort of uh, transition away from this interview. Well, um, I had one more question.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Since uh, Black I do women...
4: too? Yeah. But go ahead.
0: Since Black women are disproportionately impacted by the virus and also by the delay in getting the vaccine, as a a medical doctor, what kind of public policy would you like to see implemented that would remedy that situation or at least address it seriously?
6: Yeah. Um, Man. That's a good question. I
0: yeah. mean, I
6: think it would be nice if, it's, you mean with just in regards to pregnancy or just black women in general?
0: Black women in general.
6: Um, I mean, ideally probably something where you have some sort of age range where, you know, you can go somewhere where it's easily accessible <laughs> to kind of get the vaccine if you kind of fit those requirements. Um. I mean, I know right now they are, I think most places are vaccinated over 65. I mean, I I hope that kind of the next wave takes into account kind of, you know, ethnicities. Um, I know they wanted to kind of vaccinate the older generation now because that is a vulnerable population, but I would hope that, you know, in the next kind of rollout being, you know, black or brown um, or other, you know, ethnicities that you could be more eligible than possibly, you know, Caucasian recipients. Um, I know some people may not agree with that. I'm sure that would be somewhat controversial. Um, but I mean, if they're strictly looking at the data, it does show that, you know, minorities, especially, you know, black and brown individuals are more at risk. So we're doing this mostly off of a risk basis. I would say just based off of that alone, that should make someone, you know, more eligible to get the vaccine rather than like, you know, a healthy Caucasian female. So, I don't know if that'll happen, but I think that would be ideal is that as they keep doing the rollout, they also take race um, into account and make you more eligible based off of
4: that. Mm -hmm. Uh, My my one last question is, uh, what is the lowest age? I know this will be in the future because I think now they just started at 60. What is the lowest age that they intend to vaccine, to give the vaccine to? Will it head down to babies or two, three, four school age? Or do you have any idea what the lowest age would be for the vaccination?
5: I think the plan is eventually to get to the pediatric population as well. Um, I think the next step is to test in like the teens, like 16 and older. But um, because if you look at the data in terms of who dies from if the coronavirus it's more the older the more vulnerable mm-hmm. population so I think that's where the focus is but i'm pretty sure it's going to be um, across the board it's at least studied and and based on the data decisions be made about that um to get back to um uh, William's question about the, the women how to focus on women you know like when we make decisions in the healthcare field or from a, a health a public health perspective, we have to look at the determinants of health. And those things are where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you go to church, what kind of support you have, and mm-hmm. to be able to impact, and you know how, what kind of food you're eating, to be able to impact the bl- Black women per se. One, uh, uh, like um, the, the, the doctor said, it's hard to really kind of single out without it becoming a, a social political mm-hmm. issue. But I think what we can do uh, from a a community perspective is to take ownership, um, focus on our health, um, educate ourselves, educate, educate, educate a church, educate a school, educate the kids to bring information home so that the the women are aware because the women are the backbone of our Black community. Um, And uh, also focusing on health, something simple as supplementing with vitamin c and and unfortunately as doctors we don't check people's vitamin uh, levels mm-hmm. on a, from a preventative perspective because medicine is kind of focused on treating a problem rather than preventing the problem mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so prevention is really important so if you can't get to the vaccine you know focus on preventing keeping re- getting a robust health mm-hmm. stop smoking um, get good sleep, reduce your stress, and I know those are hard when you're a single black mom, you mm-hmm. know, in a in a stressful situation. But there's some things that we have control over. We can we can quit smoking. We can we can supplement with vitamin D. We can make sure we know what our micronutrients are, mm-hmm. um, and 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 be able to get that supplemented. Vitamin D is covered by by uh, Medicaid. And Medicare insurance. Um, so you will be surprised at how many of us have low, very low vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, like I said, consistently it's been shown to be one of the weaknesses that we have that made us a bit more vulnerable. In addition to the other negative determinants of health that has impacted our community.
0: Okay. Well, right. unfortunately, um, once again, we find ourselves out of time and uh, many questions left at the converse, uh, at the end of the conversation. But um, just some absolutely uh, very informative information that, that you all provided us with today. And maybe we can get you back on later on to give us an update. On that note, we wanna thank our three African-American women medical health practitioners, Dr. Summer Appling, Dr. Tashira Perry, and Dr. Karen Reed Renner, who joined us for part one of our frank discussion on the impact that COVID-19 and vaccine treatments are having on men and women within the Black community.
4: Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at WFHB dot org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address once again is bringing on at org
0: Also, if you have any events or happenings within the African American community that we should know about, please send that info directly to our staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item or any of our guests that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org.
4: Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is William Hosea. Our consultant and WFHB news director is Cade Young. Our program engineer is Chantelle LaFontaine. Our engineer... Original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim, with additional background tracks by David Baker. With WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell.
0: And I'm William Hosea. Please tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for part two of our discussion on the impact that COVID-19 and vaccine treatments are having on Black men within the Black community. Our special guest will be Dr. Charlie Nelms and former Bethel AME passer, Dennis LaFoon. Again, join us for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB.
1: You've been listening to Bring It On, a
2: volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
8: Local teachers with the Monroe County Education Association, the local affiliate of the Indiana State Teachers Association, the state's largest teachers union, protested newly proposed bills that they say would underfund the state's public schools. The newly proposed bills winding their way through the state legislature would give 40% of the state's education budget to the 10% of kids who go to private and charter schools. This is what Shelby, a member of the Teachers Association, said in a video posted, posted on social media.
3: This bill diverts public funds away from public schools in order to give it to private schools and charter schools. This means wealthier families get more money to send their kids to private school. This in turn takes money away from our public school children who need it most.
8: Ben Yoder, an orchestra director with Hamilton Southeastern Schools spoke about COVID-19 concerns in a video message as well.
3: Governor Holcomb is refusing to prioritize teachers for the COVID-19 vaccine while simultaneously asking us to reopen schools to in-person instruction.
8: Charter school proponents say that the schools bring innovation, more school choice and freedom. This is what Shelly Yoder, a state senator from Monroe County told WFHB about the lack of oversight on private school funding.
3: The voucher program, the charter schools, the private schools, there is no accountability. There is no transparency, unlike public schools, where we have school boards that are elected by the people to make sure that their school corporations are run transparently and that people have a voice.
8: That's all for your local news brief from WFHB. I'm Erin Comforti.
7: A new anti-abortion bill passed through the House this Monday that some doctors say is unethical and unproven. The bill bans certain types of chemical abortions, makes it more difficult for minors to get an abortion, and requires doctors to tell patients seeking medical abortions that if they don't want to end up going through with the abortion, that they may not take the second pill and still have the child. Although the bill passed 67 to 29, multiple doctors spoke out against it last week saying the bill itself would be dangerous for women in Indiana. Dr. Tracy Wilkinson was among those doctors. She said, quote, the state legislature should not mandate a physician to tell a patient these falsehoods that could ultimately endanger their patients' lives. End quote. Those in favor of the bill say that it is more important for women to know their options before making such a big decision. Dr. Christina Francis says that women, quote, should not have to go home and Google whether or not there is anything they can do to save their child, end quote. Another concern with the bill is that there are grounds to sue. Advocacy and Public Policy Director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana, Katie Blair, says that the ACLU has been looking very carefully at this bill, and it is completely unconstitutional.
3: It would force health providers to lie to their patients and provide dangerous, false, and misleading information. Abortion reversal, that's putting patients at risk while ignoring science and the First Amendment rights of medical providers.
7: According to a study conducted by the University of California, 10% of women changed their minds about medical abortion. However, Blair says that the claim written in the bill is not the proper way to go. A study involving the reverse abortion plan was cut short due to dangerous complications, according to doctors protesting the bill on Monday.
3: No one benefits from when our um, our health providers are forced to to lie to us. Um, it's just it's it's outrageous and very dangerous. Um, and you know, was opposed by um, many medical, um, organizations and is not, you know, abortion reversal is not anything that's supported by any, you know, serious real health organization.
7: The bill is now being moved on to the Senate. However, Blair encourages any Hoosier who disagrees with the bill to contact their local senator to address their concerns. For WFHB, I'm Katherine Patterson.